Good morning, Crosspoint. I'm Megan Stevens. My husband, Josh, and I have been coming here since May of last year, so not too long. The scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 27. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that I may, I, I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Megan. A question for us to consider as we uh, are toward the beginning of a new year. Who do you pray will come to faith in Christ this year? Who are you praying will come to faith in Christ this year? A saving faith in Jesus. Who do you pray will repent of their sin, turn away from trusting in themselves, trust in Jesus alone, confessing him as their Lord and Savior, beginning to follow him wholeheartedly with their life? Do you have someone or several come to mind, come to your heart? A family member, a spouse, a co-worker, a client, a neighbor, a child, a parent, someone in, your, in the community that you interact with. As you think about that person or persons, do you know what questions they're asking of the Lord? Do you know their pains, their joys, their hopes in this life? Do you know their stories, where they came from, what they've walked through? If Christian faith played a part or didn't play a part in their stories, how are you living with them and building a relationship with them in such a way that you're able to listen to them and love them in the way of Jesus? At Crosspoint, our mission is to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus who live 3D together. So together, we desire to be devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, and driven to reach people with the gospel of God's grace. Today's passage is all about being driven to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul will call it winning people to the Lord Jesus. Some of you here or watching aren't trusting in Jesus yet. I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you're watching. That is not by accident. The Lord who fearfully and wonderfully made you is also the God who is at work in your life, drawing you to himself and calling you to trust in him. You might already be skeptical hearing that the subject of today's message is around evangelism. There's, listen, there's one singular motivation that we as believers have to see you come to a saving faith in Jesus. One singular motivation, and that is love. Love. We are compelled by the love of Jesus to show and tell you of 
His love. And we don't always get that right. We're not perfect, and neither are you. And this is why you and I need the gospel. This is why you and I need Jesus in desperate need of Him because we are imperfect. We have fallen short of His glory and, and how He's called us to live. And the Lord Jesus, though, was perfect and is perfect. He's lived a life that while tempted, never sinned. As John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world that he, be, uh, that he gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him, trust in Him, would not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. And so our desire is that you would not be separated from the grace of God in this life or in the life to come. Our prayer is that you'd experience new and eternal life in Him through faith alone and by grace alone. The Apostle Paul is writing to believers in the church at Corinth. And he's going to talk about how he's lived, driven to reach people. And in doing so, he's going to encourage the Corinthian church, but also here, us, in 2023. So welcome to missionary school this morning, brothers and sisters. In the life that we've been given, we're not just waiting for his return. But we are active in the waiting, active in our prayer life, active, compelled by the love of Jesus to a mission that we can only fulfill on this side of heaven. So let's be found faithful. Let's be encouraged as missionaries this morning. Verse 19 in the CSB translation says, Although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Paul is free in Christ. He's not indebted to anyone on this earth. He's not obligated to serve anyone's earthly agenda. Only the agenda of Jesus Christ. And yet he's willingly made himself a slave. He's voluntarily subjected himself to others for one purpose. In order to win more people. Because seeing more people come to faith in Jesus. To be saved from death. From eternal death. Be granted eternal life instead. That is what is most important. Paul is saying I'm not intent on making this life about me or my preferences, or insisting on always living out the freedoms that he has in the gospel. Paul's not trying to take their money or gain a self-serving platform. He's making himself a slave. He's laying down his own rights for the purpose of glorifying the Lord in the midst of a mission to reach more people. In the coming verses, he'll talk about how his identity as a slave is playing itself out with various groups of people, from Jew to Gentile, so let's briefly talk about this phrase, slave to everyone. What it doesn't mean, what it does mean. First, what this doesn't mean. Paul is not implying that he will change his convictions or doctrine based on which group he is seeking to win to the Lord. Paul is not saying, well, I'm going to remove the offensive parts of the gospel and in doing so, the message of our great sin and our great Savior will be more palatable for those who hear it. He's also not saying, well, the, the world or culture doesn't believe this or that or does believe this or that, and so we as the church of Jesus Christ will follow their example and match our doctrine to theirs, which is ever, ever changing. The temptation, that temptation's been around since the book of Acts and continues today in this progressive Christian movement where the logic is we're going to change orthodox historical doctrine with the intent to win people. But in doing so, the true good news of Jesus 
gets compromised. False teaching is what results, and people are led astray. They're not led toward life, but they're led astray. By saying that Paul is a slave to everyone is not implying that he's a chameleon who will just change his convictions to match the, the lost group's conviction. I think in this passage, this is one of the common misinterpretations or misapplications that people take from it. David Garland wrote, uh, Paul never modified the message of Christ crucified to make it less of a scandal to Jews or less foolish to the Gentile. So what is Paul saying? One author wrote it this way, Paul would not adopt the religions of those among whom he worked. He would adapt himself to his environment as much as his faith would allow, much as a slave would be expected to adjust to the cultural reality of the family they served. Paul's faith in Jesus and his love for others will shape how he lives, how he behaves among those who are lost. The gospel has offensive truths in it, namely that we are born sinners. We are born separated. We are born in need of a saving faith in Jesus. We are destined for hell and eternal separation from our creator. It's offensive to say Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. And that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ and that we can't save ourselves. That's offensive to our pride. The gospel truths are sometimes offensive to, to our pride and at the same time, as a slave to everyone, Paul is saying, I don't want my personal way of life to be intentionally or purposely offensive to the lost. If someone is turned away because of the foolishness of the cross, so be it. But may the gospel not be hindered by me and my way of life and my words and, and my actions. And to illustrate the extent at which Paul is a slave to everyone, he'll talk about both Jews and Gentiles, those under the law of Moses, those not, without the law of Moses. And the gap between these two groups could not be greater, especially in the context that Paul is writing, from how they dress to their holidays to their eating habits to their family practices and what we see is paul's adaptability his flexibility on mission toward everyone verse 20 to the jews i became like a jew to win jews to those under the law like one under the law though i myself am not under the law to win those under the law Paul became like a Jew or like one under the law for one purpose, to win people to Jesus. Jesus or Jews sought to find favor and acceptance with God through obedience to the law of Moses. So it was a gospel of works. It was if you obey well enough, if you work hard enough, if you check all the boxes, you can earn your way into a right standing with God. The Jews obey Old Testament law out of religious obligation. When Paul says that he became like a Jew, he's saying that, for instance, he was going to speak their language. He was going to use their terminology. He would talk about the law. He would observe some of the cultural practices of the Jewish people because he loves those under the law and desires to win them to the Lord. He was willing to conform to some of their customs so the opportunity for them to hear the gospel would not be hindered. So, for instance, he's not bringing bacon-wrapped shrimp to the gathering. 
That'd be offensive. He's not saying, hey, on Saturday, you guys want to come over to my house? Let's get some work done. That'd be offensive. That'd be a hindrance to them to hear the gospel. Notice this phrase, though I myself am not under the law. Meaning, to use the quote from before, Paul would not adopt the religions, meaning the set of practices and beliefs of those among whom he worked. He would adapt himself to his environment as much as his faith would allow. Though I myself am not under the law, he writes. Paul writes in Romans 6 that believers are not under the law, but under grace. In Romans 10, that Christ is the end of the law, the fulfillment of it. So, so Paul would not set aside these essential truths in order to reach the Jews. And seeking to win the Jews at some point, he's going to call them to give up trying to trust in themselves to obey the law perfectly, and instead to trust in Jesus Christ who did obey the law perfectly. Because Jesus alone is the fulfillment of the law. And that would be offensive to a Jew who doesn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So while the gospel truths offend sometimes, Paul doesn't want his, his own behavior around the Jews to bring unhelpful or unnecessary offense. Verse 21, Paul now speaks of ministering to the Gentiles. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. So it follows the same pattern. Paul saying, I will not become like one, or I will become like one without the law in order to win people. So here, for instance, he's perfectly fine bringing pulled pork or shellfish or getting things done on, on a Saturday because it's not offensive to the Gentile crowd. He'll seek to understand and adapt to the environment of the Gentiles, but again, with context, with the full understanding of the gospel and who he is in Jesus, that his identity in Christ doesn't change with the crowd. It doesn't change with the person he's with. He writes, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. So he's quick to say, I'm still living in obedience to the commands of God. I'm, so, I'm still seeking by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live and obey the commands of God. He's not saying, well, I'm saved so I can do whatever I want. He's free in Christ, but not to serve himself, but to serve the Lord. He's not under the law of Moses, but he's still under the good lordship of Jesus Christ. He's a new creation in Christ. He's been made holy and righteous thanks to the gracious and complete sufficient work of Jesus Christ. So in the midst of the Gentiles, he's not going to set aside that, that identity because that's who he is now, by grace. So as he's seeking to win the Gentiles and engaging in life alongside them, he's not going to bow down and worship their pagan gods or fall into sin thinking well if i fall into sin if i if i match my life to their life that their, their patterns of sin well that's a good missionary tool he's not going to follow their patterns of living thinking that's how i'm going to win them instead loved ones when you can when you and i confess christ but then when we follow the habits or patterns of a sin-centered world the people around you, the lost people around you are confused. Worse yet, they are misled. 
They are led astray, thinking, okay, you can just follow Jesus and still live for sin and self? (laughs) This is great. I can just tack on Jesus like a bumper sticker onto my life and call that faith. They are misled, thinking that faith in Christ doesn't lead to a holistic, all-encompassing, radical change, inward to outward, way of life in us. Brothers and sisters, our, our lives should look different than the world because we're following Jesus whose patterns and way of life looked radically different than the world that he lived and ministered in. Verse 22, Paul speaks of another group of people who he is seeking to win. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may be so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Paul's spoken of the weak before in this letter. In general, the weak refer to those people with a weak conscience who can easily fall into idolatry by either following a Christian's example or their way of life. So even though Paul is strong, knowledgeable in his faith, free in Christ, he was willing to make allowances for the weak as to avoid potentially being a stumbling block or a hindrance to them coming to faith in Jesus. There are endless potentials to this, endless applications to this in our current way of life. Here's one to help us understand what Paul is saying. So you're prayerfully seeking to reach someone who is prone to be addicted to alcohol. They run to alcohol to find their rest, to find their escape, to find their their healing. This is how they medicate themselves. Whether they would say that or not, that's what's occurring. And they have yet to turn toward Jesus who alone is the one who will actually bring healing and bring freedom. Becoming weak among this person means you're going to avoid drinking alcohol with them because that example is going to hinder them to see and hear the gospel clearly. It's going to be confusing. With all your prefaces and all your asterisks and all your footnotes, it's going to be confusing through your own way of life. To the weak, I became weak. So I set aside my personal liberties, my considerations for the sake of the people I'm with, for their benefit, for their good, and prayerfully, by God's grace, their salvation. Because there's a greater purpose than me exercising my freedoms and my liberties among them. There's a greater purpose, and I don't want those I'm seeking to reach to misunderstand or confuse what it means to trust in and follow Jesus. I've become all things to all people, so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Now I do this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. In that context, a slave captured through war and sold to a Roman household, for example, would be expected to adopt and adapt to the the Roman culture of the household. Same is true if the household was Jewish or any other cultural background. Paul is saying, I'll adapt to whatever cultural context I'm in. This is exactly what's happening for the Ethnos 360 team that we are supporting in Papua New Guinea and their mission to reach the Kuyu people. This is exactly what the Ames household and LeBlanc's and DeValve's are seeking to 
to do. Learn the culture. Learn the language. Eat the food. Learn the heritage, the hopes, the fears, the backgrounds of the unreached people group. They're in a posture of learning and understanding, becoming like the Kuyu people, if you will, with the prayerful hope that by every possible means, some might be saved. And that takes, in this situation, a generation, 15, 20 years. Brothers and sisters, it's no different for us. We must think and listen like missionaries because the gospel is transcendent to all culture throughout all history. Every tribe, every tongue, and people group are invited to trust in Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. Our prayer is that by every possible means, the Lord might save some, that more and more people might be brought into the family of God, including those names and faces that I pray are on your heart and mind throughout this message. Because we don't want to be the only ones who share in the blessings of the good news, right? We want others to experience the blessings of being made right with the Lord, having their past, present, and future sin forgiven, hearts washed white as snow, being set free from shame and guilt, being set free and redeemed from the penalty of sin, being adopted by a perfect heavenly Father who holds us secure in His hand, being granted eternal life, being granted an imperishable, eternal inheritance, be given a new heart, be, be made a new creation in Him. In the final section we're going to look at today, Paul gives an illustration from the world of sports. This illustration can be applied to our spiritual lives in a variety of ways, including our walk as missionaries. Because to follow Jesus is all of life. We don't section parts off, but rather we live as disciples and missionaries in everyday life. This is who we are now in Christ. Not compartmentalized, but all of life. Verses 24 through 27. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Corinth was the center for the Isthmian Games, which was second only to the ancient Olympics in prestige. The games included everything from horse and chariot races to foot races to wrestling to boxing. In order to be allowed to compete in the games, you had to train for 10 months ahead of time. You couldn't just show up to the games and check in and say, I want to race, but the training was all-encompassing. It involved your physical activity, your diet, your sleep, and so what separated the winners from the losers was their self-control, their discipline. It wasn't just that you began the race, but that you finished the race. And Paul is saying the Christian life, including how you live as a missionary, requires effort and discipline. That you don't finish the race or win the prize by just 
running aimlessly or shadow boxing the air. Last fall, Heather and I were uh, in Peoria Airport getting ready to fly out, and there was a guy waiting in the terminal for his flight, and he has VR goggles on, and he was this, like, no lie, in the terminal. I judged him. <laughs> so did my wife. You look silly. I didn't tell him that. I told him that in my head, in my heart. You look silly. Just flailing your arms, boxing the air. What are you doing? And Paul's saying, let that not be how you and I follow Jesus. Spending effort and energy aimlessly. Like just beating, boxing the air. But let us instead be intentional, disciplined. Because if you haven't noticed, you and I have limited energy. Correct? It is good to lay down at bed at night. Ah, just like even last night. Long week. We have limited energy. May we not spend it aimlessly. May we pursue intentionality and discipline with the life we've been given, with the breath in our lungs, with the beating of our heart. Paul writes, I discipline my body. The idea in the original Greek means to give yourself a black eye. To give yourself a black eye. Now, Paul is not prescribing self-harm. He's not implying the human body's evil or that we must add our wounds to the wounds of Christ because his, by his wounds we have been healed. We don't have to add to that. His, his sacrifice is sufficient. Isaiah 55, 1 Peter 2, or Isaiah 53, 1 Peter 2. There's all my prefaces. Paul is saying here, I don't want my flesh to rule over my life. He's saying, like he did in Galatians 5, that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. That when the Spirit of God rules and leads your life, it leads to, to an evidence, an outward evidence, such as self-control or discipline. As missionaries, our desire is to be led by the Spirit of God that is empowering us for mission, giving us a God-glorifying self-control that enables us to lay down our preferences to lay down the freedoms that we have in Christ, to lay down our, our freedoms in order to win others to Jesus. If you won a race in the Isthmian Games, the crown that would be placed atop your head was typically either a garland of pine needles or a garland of celery. So a fire starter or something that is desperate in need of something else to make it decent. <laughs> it's a perishable crown, to say the least. One author wrote, if these athletes push themselves to the limits in training to win that pathetic crown of withered vegetables, how much more should we maintain self-discipline for the sake of of an imperishable crown. 
We've moved three times in the last four years. Um, that's by our own choosing, so no need to gasp, just gasp by our decision making. Um, uh, we've, we've moved tubs of perishable crowns, not my wife's. I believe I have a golden Gus Macker trophy in the basement that I failed to bring this morning as an example of a perishable crown. I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> That's why I kept it. I also don't have it on a shelf because I have some restraint and pride. But it's a perishable crown for Pete's sake. It's a perishable, with a piece of wood and a golden covered, it's not gold. And it's funny looking because it's a smiling basketball. Okay? <laughs> we pursue a lot of perishable crowns, don't we? They're not ultimate. They're good. They are not ultimate loved ones. And this is not just about sports. There's a variety of perishable crowns we can pursue. Earlier I said it took 10 months to prep for the Isthmian Games. Now if you were listening, you thought, 10 months? That's it? I've given years of my life to pursue this or that. In the world of sports, I, I play this sport 12 months a year. I'm going after this. 10 months, psh, that's nothing. Brothers and sisters, how much more should we give our effort and attention toward an eternal mission? Run in such a way, live on mission in such a way to win the prize and to win other, others to the Lord. How much more? How much more? It's by His grace alone. Fueled, compelled by His grace, not by our strength. By the strength of the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells inside of us. Some next steps to encourage us in application as we grow as missionaries. First is this, pray. The passage that I read at the end, Colossians 4, the benediction, is a sweet reminder to my own soul that, that we begins, uh, a life on mission begins with a prayerfulness. It, it continues in a prayerfulness. It ends in a prayerfulness. May our life on mission be prayerful and dependent on the Spirit at all times because the Lord alone is who saves. Listen. As you engage in and love those who you are seeking to show and tell of Jesus, listen. Ask great questions. Ask good questions. Get to know their stories. Because the better you know a person's story, story the better you'll be able to contextualize the good news in their life. So pray, listen. Take a risk is the next one. Max Stiles is someone who's written several books on evangelism, served as a long-term pastor in Iraq. He writes this, everywhere I go, people want to know why they aren't having opportunities to share their faith. And my answer in most situations is that, is that they take more risks. Talk to the mom next to you at soccer practice. Let people know at work about your Christian life. Get your courage up at school and see if a friend would read the gospel of Mark with you. It's, not, it's no good waiting around until the culture gets easier. It's not going to anytime soon, he writes. It gets harder in life too, but God rewards risk. 
It's really tied up in faith, he writes. I tell people that if you can't risk, you better find another God to love besides Jesus. If you can't risk, you better find another God to love than Jesus. If you think about it, he writes, we are really risking our life that the message of the gospel is true. And if it's true, it's worth risking what others think of us to share that truth. So pray, listen, take a risk. And the last thing is to be equipped. I want to recommend a book and then recommend the next step there. So one book recommendation I have for you is Rebecca McLaughlin's uh, Confronting Christianity. Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. That book, I believe, will help equip you in how to navigate the gospel in the midst of the contentious subjects that are in our world right now and that are not going away, but how we engage as missionaries. Confronting Christianity is the book. And then finally, Pastor Dave's class that starts Wednesday, Living 3D Together. I believe it would be an encouragement not only to your faith in Christ, but equipping you as a missionary and how we do that together. If you can't make all eight, it goes all the way through April. There's eight sessions starting this Wednesday. If you can't make all eight, don't not sign up because of that. If you can make half, great. There's 80-some people, I believe, signed up right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a sweet. Push that thing to 100. Like let, let's build some momentum. Let's be active, be intentional with the time we've been given. Invite others to join you. Child care is available. There's a QR code in the program. You can sign up. Sign up today so we can plan accordingly. But there's, we're super encouraged about this. And this is not just about evangelism, but it's everyday discipleship. How do we live loving the Lord, loving others, and making disciples in everyday way of life? Loved ones, we are following the greatest missionary ever, and his name is not Paul. His name is Jesus. I want, I want you to listen to what Stephen Um writes regarding our missionary Jesus. The gospel foundationally is about a witness who came to us by becoming one of us. An insider who felt our deepest hopes and aspirations, who learned the questions we were asking and the things that troubled us. It's about a witness who immersed himself deeply in our fallen world, speaking and giving, living and loving in ways we could understand sharing everything with us, but even more, giving his life for us and our sin, becoming weak, losing it all because he had a goal that kept him going, the saving of many lives. And when we see him doing all of that for sinners like us, it gives us a goal of our own, not only to share this gospel with others, but to share it in the very nature of Jesus as we do that. So why do we listen and why do we learn the hopes and questions of our neighbors and to speak in ways people can understand why do we keep going when the rigor of intellectual and cultural training and loving our neighbors gets hard? We keep going in order to share not only what God has done for us, but how he did it for us. The goal that keeps us going isn't winning arguments. It's about standing side by side with our neighbors and sharing in the nature of this gospel that has saved us, even as we learn to show it more and more to one another through our words and our love toward one another. Lord Jesus, thank you for setting us free from our sin, our selfishness, 
our bent to be self-centered. Thank you for redeeming our lives, breaking chains, freeing up our lives so that we might live for you alone who died and rose again for us. Thank you, Jesus, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, both the Jew and the Gentile. Thank you that your message of grace transcends all of time and all people. Help us to know and live and speak the good news as your people. And thank you that as we do, we share in the blessings of the gospel. We follow your example, Jesus. We lay down ourselves for the good of those who we pray will trust in you. We want people to hear and see you ultimately, Lord, and not ourselves. So help us to pray. Help us to listen and love like you, Jesus. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Give us Holy Spirit-fueled courage. May you cause the growth. May you rescue the lost, heal the sick, set free the captive. And may you be glorified in doing so. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Paul writes this in Colossians 4, starting in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. May the Lord give us wisdom and courage as we walk that out.